Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. And we are live. Welcome to Perpetual Friday. As you can see, if you're tuning in live, thank you very much for coming to join us today. We don't have Kasim Aslam on today. We've got somebody that looks very, very different than him. Although, you know, Kasim has some creativity. He's more of a tech, tech, you know, Google guy. We've got our super uber creative. In fact, our VP of strategy and innovation or VP of innovation and strategy. I don't know if we've actually figured out the exact phrase or title, which you are now. But Tom Meredith is going to be joining us here today and is here. He's the guy who came through Tier 11, I think, originally like through perpetual traffic and then applied as an ads manager. And then quickly, we realized that this guy is pretty good with creative. So he sort of ascended through the ranks in our creative department and now runs innovation and strategy as the VP which really does help out all our creative stuff, which is not something that we've really talked about as much on Perpetual Fridays. We talk about a fair amount on Perpetual Traffic, but we're going to be getting into like, you know, the down and dirty on what's so important right now and why creative is a vital part of your advertising and your overall marketing. So welcome to Perpetual Fridays, Tom Meredith. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I haven't decided yet. It depends on how busy, what I'm focused on that week, if it's going to be innovation or strategy first. But I think the general will be VP of innovation and strategy. But yeah, I think, pretty good. Yeah, I did come through perpetual traffic. I downloaded the e-com ad amplifier and then I saw you guys are hiring and came in as an ads manager. You pretty much nailed it. And I always wanted to be like the uh, creative guru for that time, like Facebook ads. But really, I just find the creative side of advertising to be so interesting and something I'm extremely passionate about. Yeah, 100%. Well... You've ascended through the ranks here. We're going to be talking uh, like what you guys are doing on the creative side first off and obviously post your questions inside YouTube, just making sure that we are actually live. Hey guys, this is Hector Santi Esteban. I'm the podcast producer here at Perpetual Traffic and Ralph was in fact not actually live. And so that's why we wanted to give you guys this bonus episode. We hope that you guys enjoy it. And if you guys are not subscribed to the Digital Marketer YouTube channel, go and get subscribed there because every Friday, Kasim and Ralph and other great guests will be going live to answer your questions on Perpetual Friday. It's an AMA, and Ask Me Anything, where you can get your questions answered live on YouTube. So it's on the Digital Marketer YouTube channel. Go and check that out. And we're going to get into this bonus episode of Perpetual Friday right after this quick break. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert 
Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wilders and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me, and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Tom, tell us a little bit about maybe your background, where you came from. I know you've got sort of an interesting, like you're an LA guy, so you've got, you know, some industry experience, and then you came through a couple of other places, and how did you eventually land here, you know, working at Tier 11 as a virtual agency? Yeah, I guess my history is kind of varied. Yeah, straight out of college, I was working at a local TV news station, working the morning news, so up early, running scripts around to the talent. I actually used to run the teleprompter, which was high pressure when you're super tired. And I mean, people on screen were dependent on your ability to keep up with them. Otherwise, they look like fools for not knowing what to say. From there, I went over, I was over at Disney Animation for about five years, worked on the film Bolt. So maybe that ages me a little bit. I thought I'd be old. And after that, I was over at DreamWorks for a while. Actually met my wife over there working in the marketing department. And then transitioned from that and going, I found a business partner, producing partner, and we started our own little production company where we ended up doing a lot of social content, kind of for pretty decent sized brands. Uh, we did Hot Wheels and Dwayne Johnson were kind of like our big ones that we were working with. So Seven Bucks Productions for him. The Hot Wheels ones were probably my favorite because we got to make all these like miniature sets. At one point I made a, I guess about a 30 foot long Death Star trench for a launch of Hot Wheels Star Wars cars. And we had cool. like running a camera through the trench. Uh, it was probably the highlight of my career. And then that same business partner and I, we got pretty big into Bulletproof Coffee back in the day, but it was always like such a mess to make in the office and me being just kind of like this weird guy who brings all these ideas together and innovates things. I invented a instant Bulletproof Coffee. So it had like everything in the packet. You just added it to hot water and it mixed up really well. Found a good emulsifier and we launched that on Kickstarter. We were successful. I think we raised like 35000 Really? Yeah. And Things then, I never knew about Tom. I know. And then we uh, launched, so we, that was called Coffee Blocks. And we launched that into a company that ran for about three years. Kind of got to a point where we kind of hit a ceiling on growth and shut it down. But between like that e-com experience and struggling my way through the marketing side and the advertising side, plus the creative side that I had from the other side of uh, 
the production company, like it seemed like tier 11 would be like advertising creative would, you know, be a really special place for me to shine. And yeah, I found perpetual traffic during that time of running coffee blocks. And we're always looking to learn how to, you know, do advertising and marketing well. And of course, DM is like the top of the game for content on that. Yeah, for sure. Coffee block. Uh, I don't think I ever knew about coffee blocks. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the, the trench for, you know, for Hot Wheels is pretty freaking cool, by the way. Huge Star Wars yeah. fan. So was it, was it exactly like the trench and the Death Star? Or was it really? It wasn't exact. I mean, it wasn't that detailed. It was giant boards and we had, I'd cut up a bunch of foam and other pieces to make it have depth coming in. So the camera, it would pass by close to the camera, but it, it didn't have like laser shooting or like the little turrets or anything like that. That's uh, very cool. Yeah, so we didn't. The, the, the coffee blocks experience, how long was that for? How many years? Three. Is it three? Yeah. Yeah, so we went from Kickstarter, we had some pretty good DTC success, and then started to go into whole, uh, wholesale. Uh, we were actually in 200 Whole Foods at one point. And then, yeah, we didn't get as much traction in retail as we would have if we were getting on e-com. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. When I see e-com companies looking to go into wholesale, it, it always gives me a little bit of PTSD. Of like, no, you guys have it just sweet, so sweet right there where you have direct contact with your customers. You can control the customer journey, how they experience uh, not only your product, but the lead up at sales of your product. So it taught you a lot about just business in general and how to sort of run things. And, and you were saying that, you know, some of the, some of the folks wanted to go into the bricks and mortar side of the equation, probably not quite as good of an idea from a profitability perspective and growth perspective. Like sounds like you've got, you know, some background there and understanding sort of the economics of how products like this work. Yeah, we actually, we were successful enough that we were getting some interest from investors so we ended up taking on investor money and it was broken up into like a variety of tranches, which are, you unlock certain amounts of that investor money by doing certain things. And the lever for unlocking that tranche was getting distribution into wholesale. So that's what kind of drove us to go that direction. And how did the ads work? Like, what did you learn from uh, perpetual traffic and how did that sort of help you guys and... Obviously, that got you a little bit more into the advertising side of the equation. Yeah, I'd, have to, I'd be pretty embarrassed, I think, to go back and look at what we did. <laughs> <laughs> well, we wouldn't have the creative that we have right now, that's for sure. Uh, for sure. Oh, we, were, we did some pretty cool creative stuff. We did well a lot with like how to make videos. So I think intuitively, pretty early on, we realized that we wanted to make creative for our different avatars. I didn't really think about it or have much, I didn't see much educational information out there about that. But yeah, so we had like stay at home moms were a big avatar of ours, the tech crowd, and then like the CrossFit adjacent. So we made a lot of videos in those three, those three lanes, which now that I think about it, it's kind of interesting that we intuitively found making content specific for our avatars. Hmm. Um, and we, yeah, we also made this really amazing Mother's Day video that ended up getting about 30 million views. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very cool. What was, do you remember what the content was on that? Yeah, so it was basically from the perspective of a daughter talking about like 
how she looks up to her mom and all the amazing things that she does, like working out, cooking at home. And at the end, it was like, mom, I didn't want to be just like you. And so it wasn't, it was super branded content and it did nothing to move the needle on sales, but as a uh, calling card for a production company, it was pretty, pretty strong one. So lesson learned, not necessarily great viral content necessarily moves a business and sells from a direct response perspective. They're not necessarily two things that go hand in hand all the time. Yeah. And I even wonder like how much it did for brand equity because didn't, we didn't put much as in a way of branding in it. Hmm. So you go from there, you come like, did you go right from coffee blocks to tier 11 or was there anything in between there? Or was there a period of, or was it right, right into it? Like leave one and go to the other. Cause you were obviously you had your hands full at that point. <laughs> yeah. We still had the production company going. He's actually still running it now and doing all kinds of crazy stuff with Dwayne. But yeah, so I ran that up until probably February of that year. And I ended up joining tier 11 in September. Okay. Um, plus we had a kid in there, my wife and I. So that added a, another layer of wanting to have more like predictable work and another wrinkle. Yeah. yeah. Reasonable work hours as well. 100%. But it looks like people are still waiting to see us. Yeah. I've been uh, texting our tech admin here. We'll just, uh, the, the show will go on. We're right. definitely recording. So we'll just keep moving, keep moving the needle here. So tell us about the, what you've been able to do over at tier 11 from a creative perspective and why creative itself is just so vital and, and like kind of what you were hired to do, how we've sort of changed things a bit and how, you know, at least from my perspective, we were always sort of a media buying agency for years and years. And that was okay up until, let's say, about two, three years ago. We really wanted to change that, make it more of a well-balanced agency, not just on media buying, but creative as well as ads. But now, especially in the last year, especially in the last six months, like all of that is so much more important than it ever was. It was always important, obviously, but now more so with reduced visibility through the iOS, you know, you've got privacy stuff going on. So tell us a little bit about like that whole journey and how it's sort of built out and uh, what your thoughts are just in creative in general and its importance in advertising and media. Yeah, I think you kind of nailed it when Tier 11 was like a media buying driven agency when I joined. But it seemed like you and Deacon saw that like creative was the path forward. I think I was the third creative hire for you guys, for us now, but then we started as, as we started to work more on the creative side and see how the influence that it had on the ads, we started leaning heavier and heavier into it. And so I started off as a video editor, kind of relying on my background from the producing days. And then it grew into like a bit more of like a creative strategist art director role where we were not just making the ads, but we were like being thoughtful about the strategy that goes into making them. And we started to hire some more in-house design designers and editors. But as we grew and you know our agency grew, we had to keep growing the team. And then we started to see a lot more need for the strategy side. I mean, we brought in a copy chief along the way to really, I mean, I like to say that copy isn't words, copies research. And mm. I strongly believe that that research 
doesn't just inform the copy, but informs all the creative. Like I think our creative team is so much stronger now that they have this like great deep dive document to work from that has like not only the avatars, but the avatars in their own words. So we go out and we don't just make up the avatars as we imagine them, like dive deep into like their customer reviews, Amazon reviews, like go into Reddit forums, see what people are saying about Twitter, even going on to uh, Facebook ad comments and really just pulling out the information in the customer's own words. And the tendency is often to try to pull out like the positive, but the negative is where the gold is. Like it's, um, hmm. it gives you, it tells you what people are really struggling with your, your product and helps you to help overcome it. It also informs like what kind of content you should make, but also negative on your competitors is also a really good place for you to differentiate yourself from other products out there. You give us an example of that, like one maybe recently, and obviously this is a this is kind of a huge area for you, and it's a realization that we had that we needed this individual person to do this, not just write copy, but like do the the really the dirty part of it, which is the time consuming part of it. But then when you do do that, we'll delve deeper into that. You find that there's positive and negative, but the negative is the one that oftentimes is the thing that really does either create the hook that's the lasting hook that creates ultimately the unicorn ad. Tell us a little bit about that. Maybe something recently that you found or, or an example. I have to, man, that's a hard one. Yeah. The negative. Yeah. I think about you know, a hearing aid company that we've, or like a cross between like a hearing aid and uh, headphones. You know, there's a lot of, they were getting a lot of comments about them. Well, why do I need this product? Apple has their AirPods out there, Right. It's so that's just a clear indication of a lack of education and understanding about the, what differentiates their product from AirPods. It ended up being that AirPods, you know, they're headphones first and then they allow you to kind of hear the world around you. Where this product is kind of more of like a hearing aid first that also lets you listen to music. So it, they focus a lot more on controlling the world around you and how you can hear specific conversations, control, <clears throat> excuse me, control the direction the microphones and what you're hearing uh, that really kind of informed our direction that we wanted to take it because I think we were initially leaning more towards the headphone market thinking that that was going to be the bigger one but sometimes you want to go to the more niche market that you can really control which is controlled in this case control the direction of your hearing and you know you don't have to go full into prescription hearing aids you can buy this product and still he'll hear the world around you. So instead of just accentuating you know, one side of it, like that research, that hook came from, do you remember sort of where or where, like how you guys came up with that particular angle that is a somewhat different angle? And obviously it came from part of the deep dive research, I'm assuming, but do you recall how you sort of came to that conclusion? Yeah, I think it was actually on a, an ad comment on Facebook, which it's kind of a, a good place for getting uh, that doing the deep dive on uh, prospects versus if you're doing reviews, that's more on customers. So that kind of, now you th talk about it that way, you can think about, if you're talking about different awareness levels and where you're getting your research from, Facebook ad comments are really the spot to get like the biggest barriers for people who aren't your customer yet. Hmm. And your reviews and your customer service calls and emails, and that's kind of more people who, have your product or struggling with it or really enjoy it. 
but the ad comments are really where the people who are interested enough in your product to take the time to comment, but don't haven't necessarily taken the step to purchase or at least click to your landing page to learn more about it because there's some barrier and that they're giving you for free. Got it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's an important thing that a lot of people miss right there. I mean, I think our research is pretty deep when it comes to it. I mean, going all the way from you know user reviews, even talking like looking listening to call center recordings, that kind of stuff, and going all the way through obviously doing your research on the product, but like the Facebook ads, the people are that are on the fence are a little bit suspect as to whether or not they want to buy. Like oftentimes those are the real hooks because you're, you know, you're basically nailing the objections with your ad that you know or something that people are thinking of that you might not have considered or you might not have seen through your research. Yeah, exactly. And I think not even just ad hooks, just or ad comments, just comments in general on your creative or content. That's a really interesting idea that we're going to explore further. I, I never really broken it out like that until this conversation. Thanks, Ralph. We need to talk more. <laughs> yeah, perhaps you should come on more and, you know, be on perpetual traffic as well. I know we're uh, even talking about our own budding YouTube live channel for tier 11. Yeah. So, so the research So tell me about the research. Like this is the part that people, it's like they want to do it, but they don't really have the patience to do it. So our first copy chief was a guy who would spend like a week doing this kind of research. I don't know as if, the one we have now or the one that we, you know, just recently had, she went back to take care of her kids. But like, how much time does this take? Like, take us through stepwise, because this is ultimately where you're going to find the real idea for your ad. And remember, I mean, there's not that many tricks out there from a media buying perspective. Like every once in a while, we'll come across one, but like the front facing ad to cold traffic, the people who don't know who you are, depending on where they are on, you know, the awareness curve, either they're unaware, problem aware, or solution aware. Like, how do you pull them in? All this comes from doing the research. Like, it's not like you just look at the product and you say, oh, like, that's it. I mean, you could do that. You could get lucky. You know, you could hit it out of the park with that great idea. But chances are, you've got to do the work prior to actually coming up with that great idea for an ad. Like, so... Tell me like how that sort of starts, how it, how you guys will typically like create this whole thing. I know we have a name for it that we use inside Tier 11, but take us through that whole process. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a trap that people tend to fall into because it's easy of thinking you know the avatar or you can make up the avatar. I know we were guilty of that for years. I think the first two years I was there, we, were, we spent a lot of time just coming up with avatars based on what we thought was best. But really when our, the first copy chief came on, <laughs> he pointed out the error of our ways and showed us mm -hmm. like, not like this is what your customers are really saying are really wanting. And I think that yeah, when you're looking for a copy chief, the thing that you want isn't necessarily the research, but they understand the psychology of how people work and how people buy things and interact with things. And that's just something that, it's a skill I don't necessarily have. And it's something that I'm very lucky to have found the copy chiefs that we've had along the way. Like they're some of the most interesting people to talk to, but they kind of all have put their own spin on the research and how it goes into or how much, how deep they go into it. But typically it's about a week, five days, like five business days is kind of what we allocate towards it. And I would 
even want to imagine how deep they go into things. Like they have special ex Chrome extensions that like, gets rid of all the fluff in Google and goes straight to the forums and everything else and Reddit. And I don't know if that goes like to the dark web even of pulling out the information that people are really saying about a product. They'll go deep there. They'll go deep in like competitor reviews on Amazon, the overall space that this a product would be in, they'd go into and really try to see how they can differentiate. And like, I think the first copy chiefs would like happily go through like 10,000 reviews. Like, and I don't, he would look for like word clouds. Like there's a bunch of other tools right. out there to find like the important things to people and things that you don't necessarily expect off the top. I remember we had, I don't remember the exact product was, but it was something about babies. It's like a baby cream. And we were going one direction. And then the copy chief found like this really interesting angle about baby eczema. Like unless you're a hmm. mom struggling with baby eczema, that's not something that you're going to really discover on your own. But through all the deep dive research, he'd found this little nugget that would easily be glossed over by anybody who's not looking for nuggets. And that was actually like the most powerful hook that we had for them. Hmm. And it was just one little, like you just happened to catch it. It was it like, how do you know it's not just like a non sequitur? It's the thing that's just like way out there. And then you launch a campaign and you actually revolve around this idea and then it just falls flat. Do you try and validate it with, okay, I found this thing on baby eczema and then validate it more to just know that it's not just that one person. It's more of a common question that could then turn into a hook, ad copy, creative images, mm -hmm. video, all that stuff. Yeah, there's a, kind of a few levels to that. If you start to see more people talking about a specific use case, that'd be a good indicator of it having some legs. But really, I think it's like the kind of language around it and how the emotion that's tied to it. Like moms who are struggling or figuring out a way to remove eczema for the baby are pretty passionate about it and often like at the end of the rope. So the language that surrounds that is often going to be a little bit like desperate and emotional. And so anytime you see like high levels of emotion around specific hooks, like that's something that I really look into. And then from there, right? I mean, that's for being in this advertising world that we're in now, right? We're super lucky just to be able to test, right? We can put out a simple image with a little bit of eczema based text on it and see if it has legs. And then if that's the case and keep expanding upon that creative suite, getting a little bit deeper into some, maybe some animated stuff or educational videos, leaning into pain points, kind of put pressure on those pain points. And then show, of course, showcasing the benefits and after state. And then if we can get, so, of course, like testimonials around that, that's like gold. Cause people want better, to yeah. know that they're not alone in their problem. And if this product helps other people like them solve that problem, they're more likely to purchase that. So testing it out, like getting it, figuring out whether or not it has legs. I mean, obviously this is to cold traffic, probably excluded from buyers and people that know who the company is, that kind of thing. So you're getting a real, a real true value. I mean, that is one of the things like we're I'm putting this presentation together for a couple of traffic and conversion. Some is one of them. And one of the things that we found immediately was we couldn't really get to cold traffic for lookalike audiences, interest-based audiences, that kind of stuff, because they weren't excluding their website visitors, they weren't excluding their buyers, and Facebook just kept honing in on just that small group. So we're taking them out. Like, they're not a good proxy for an ad that really has legs. 
So there are things like from a technical media buying standpoint you can do as a media buyer when you are testing these things to make sure that whatever your idea is, whatever this hook is, is actually going to cold traffic. Because like if you're just sending this to your list, we've had customers that have said this as well. We can go on this for a while. It's like, yeah, I've got this great offer that everybody wants because I've emailed my list and they love it. Well, that doesn't actually mean anything. Until you actually test something to people who don't know who you are, that's when you really figure out like something has legs. So setting that aside, and I do think that's an important thing is that a lot of people get this false sense that either a product, a hook, whatever a message actually works when it really doesn't. So you do have to go to cold traffic. So how do you test like what's the best way, like you said, if it has legs, like what are the signals you guys look for? This is obviously where, you know, your team then works in tandem with the entire customer success team, media buyers, ads managers as well. What do you guys look for? How do you how do you test it? Yeah, I guess the first thing would be just to be put out a pretty simple creative with some good copy that supports it. I know copy is kind of not necessarily seen as the most important thing within digital advertising, but it really does support, it's something that you as an advertiser have control over, but it really supports the idea. But how we would test it, uh, we'd really kind of just look at some of the metrics that are most important for things that we can control. So we don't necessarily always have control over like landing pages. And so the conversions are a little bit, uh, a little, a little bit, like foggier for us. Uh, but really the things I would look at on something like that would be kind of, if it's a video, we call our scroll stopper rate impressions divided by three second views. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's the other way around. Math's fuzzy this early in the morning. <laughs> it's early for you. Yeah, Tom's but, in LA, so it's a little bit earlier for you. Yeah, but that's like just kind of the way that we would see if like the idea or the image has the ability to stop the scroll. But really, that the core part for knowing if something has legs is uh, view length or click through rate, right? Like if we've done a good enough job to get somebody interested, and if this messaging resonates enough for them to click, then we know that we're onto something. Whether that click leads to a, a purchase or a lead, like that's another problem to deal with in the future. Uh, but that that's kind of the main things that we look for. But going back to your point about making sure it's to cold traffic and not to your list, like you really have to think about how the algorithm works and basically it wants to do the best for you and by doing that it's always going to find the most likely to take an action that you ask it to and the most likely to take an action are those that know you have purchased from you and are likely to purchase again so while it's doing its job there it doesn't necessarily allow you to expand your audience and your customer base so to your point like the algorithm does well when you give it guardrails, like not so tight that you're like controlling it with a tight leash, but enough that it's not doing the things that you don't want it to do. Hey, it's Costum here and I have a question for you. What if you could legally get the emails of almost every person who visits your website? Now I know that sounds crazy, but seriously, what if you could safely and respectfully target your website visitors via email just by dropping a pixel onto your site. It might sound too good to be true, but our new sponsors at getemails.com can do just that. They've created a system that's compliant with U.S. laws and regulations, and every email address they send you is opted in to receive emails. That means you can connect your anonymous website visitors to real people and then safely retarget them through email with real-time, fully compliant interactions. 
I've personally met the CEO, Adam Robinson, and the guy is absolutely brilliant. And he believes in his product so much that he's willing to do something a little crazy for PT listeners. If you are an e-commerce brand that's doing over a million in annual revenue and you've gone through their easy 30-minute onboarding process, if you don't 5X your investment within the first six months, they will give you all of your money back. To take advantage of this offer, go to getemails.com forward slash scalable. That's getemails.com forward slash scalable. Hey, PT listeners, when's the last time your business published on its blog? If the answer is, that's way too long for me to remember, I want you to listen up because our friends at BKA Content have a new service where they'll deliver fresh blogs to your inbox and all you have to do is just post them on your site. Now, these articles are all originally written just for your business. They're not generic articles that are just copy and pasted or thrown into some AI software or written by a VA. No, these are professional writers who are going to sit down and write articles just for your business. We've used them in the past, and they're absolutely fabulous. Now, if you want an extra reason to go try them yourself, BKA is giving PT listeners half off their first month. Just go to bkacontent.com forward slash perpetual to get started. That's bkacontent.com forward slash perpetual. And I've no, the, the couple of things he said here aren't necessarily, you're not necessarily looking for conversions per se. Like if you get conversions, that is relayed back to the team, but it's not necessarily that because we're not talking about huge budgets. We're just seeing, all right, does this resonate with the audience in one way, shape or form? View length, click through rate, you know, impressions divided by three second views, that kind of thing. Like if it is a video, but also just any sort of engagement level that's better than the control group is typically a way in which you'll say, all right, well, that's a signal that maybe we should pursue. Maybe we should put more effort into different variations of ad copy. Then we should do design creatives. Then maybe we should even consider video. So there's lots of different ways in which you can expand on it, but it's not necessarily the thing that most people want, which is like leads and sales. Yeah. I was caught up in my controversial opinion that control groups don't matter. No testing. <laughs> Either you're getting close to a KPI, you're driving engagement or, or not. Like, I, I don't know if you necessarily have to beat something, especially on a platform like Facebook, where Facebook's good at finding groups for individual messages and creative. But that's a side conversation that I'm passionate about that lots of people disagree with me. But the first part of that question, yeah, the conversions. You know, so this is like the beginning of our our process, right? Where we just want to see if something has legs, if we can get people to stop, engage, engagement, I missed, but that's like a really important one. If people are commenting on an ad that is poking buttons like that, then we know that, that, that there's something there. Um, so of course you want to build upon that individual ad with a few different variations, trying some different content blocks. So if we have a scroll stopper that works and we want to test out different like second blocks, uh, it could be features, benefit, pain point, testimonial, like there's a endless number of things that you can test there and see what is going to engage more people and drive more traffic. But if we're thinking in terms of like how to build that into something that converts, we always kind of refer it to as like training a unicorn. Like if we found like a pony and can like build it up to a stallion and eventually stick a cone on it and make it a unicorn, like that's, 
that's our process, like winning. And it doesn't happen as often as we would like, but it has happened. And so if, if we're thinking of conversions, then you have to think about like, if we're getting click-throughs, but we're not converting, well, where's that missing piece between the ad and the landing page? And since we don't necessarily control the landing page, how do we add that into the ad to bridge that gap? So adding on to the back of an ad that has high click-through, things that have more ad scent or pick up more of the language from the landing page to make it feel like a smoother transition to really prep people for that experience on the landing page would be the next step to building out this training for conversions. Got it. So it's like looking at the data and then deciphering or decoding, okay, this is where the drop-off potentially is. Like we're getting lots of click-throughs, but then we're not getting conversions or you know, maybe we're not watching all the way through to the video or whatever it happens to be. And this, and, but, but in most cases, when you're testing, it's not even a creative. It's, you say it's, you start off with just ad copy and an idea that might have come from this deep dive research that you're going on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it really just starts with the research and ideas that come from that. Or oftentimes we'll get feedback from the media buying team of, things that they've seen working from a messaging standpoint. And then we'll take that back to the research phase to see if there's any other things that we can get to support that, to build upon that. It's like this, this cycle where information is coming in from everywhere, but it always really for us starts that research level. So tell us about, like, we call this a certain thing, this lab <laughs> idea. We call it what? The creative, creative lab. lab. Yeah. The creative lab, Right. Is it an iterative process, like sort of take us through research first off, obviously, and then you've got sort of your messaging, then you create sort of your creative briefs, but then all the way through, like how do you continuously figure out like how to ultimately create those unicorns or, you know, maybe not necessarily unicorn ads always, but workhorse ads, like, Mm -hmm. you know, ads that are actually pulling for the customer and, and creating conversions and that last a really long time, like. How does that whole process kind of work? Yeah, so it's something we struggled with quite a bit, actually, trying to get that to work well. And that was because the creative team and the media buying team were kind of like separate silos. They they still worked together, but they were working across each other. So the communication and feedback loop was pretty slow and inefficient. And then pretty recently, we've switched to more of a pod model, which has been partnering media buyers and art directors so that they have a tighter feedback loop on getting results, testing ideas, really kind of being in sync with each other on the process that we're taking. Kind of to your point of like this iterative process, it's yeah, basically the creative lab starts with the deep dive research. And then we get some good copy platforms and sales platforms out of that. Uh, and then the art director takes that and builds out some supporting uh, creative for the ideas that we want to test. And then just kind of like, keep pushing on that, whittling away, adding clay, as it were. I'm mixing my art art metaphors right now. <laughs> That's all right. Metaphor <laughs> um, mixing is a specialty here. Yeah, and then, you know, some other things that you really see along the way are some ads do well with, like, engagement and click-through, and others do well for conversion. Like, And we've had really good success of combining those two. Like, it's a really low-hanging fruit about the effort that goes into it, but thinking through how somebody engages with your ad. If they're engaging with it and clicking through, they're definitely interested. But if another ad is doing really well on getting people prepped for the sale, 
combining those two often will lead to best of both worlds scenario. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, we call like our iterative process Kaizen Creative. I don't know how much we really use that in-house, but really it's just creative iteration, building upon what has worked, testing, swapping out different scroll stoppers. If we think in terms of blocks, it's like trying to figure out which blocks are working and how can we combine it with new blocks to improve other parts of a creative. I don't know if I was answering the question you were asking. Yeah, no, that that's the process. I mean, I think the it starts with, you know, the research, the idea, then that turns into, in essence, sort of ad copy in the most basic form, or it might turn into a creative brief where it's around that idea in the case of like eczema for the, you know, for the, the baby product that we were talking about earlier. And then it's just sort of this iterative process working alongside creative and media buying. One of the big things I think we realized and we sort of came upon this just to, you know, as a group was that we started to realize that if the, you know, the pod leader or media buyer group worked alongside an art director almost dedicated to that individual customer account or to that pod, all of a sudden the communication, the feedback loop, instead of it being in two different silos, all of a sudden that feedback loop is really almost instantaneous because they're working alongside not only just that customer, but probably other customers within the pod. So I do think like the pod structure idea here, I mean, especially for agencies that might be listening in, is a really good one because it facilitates that conversation. I think one of the ones that we realized this with is, you know, most of the team is actually in Australia and then you know, the art director is actually in South America, if I'm not mistaken, but still just the fact that even though they were in different time zones, because they were dedicated on the same customer accounts, the results were really starting to to kick in because that communication gap was no longer there and not as sort of fragmented and they're working alongside each other as opposed to media buying, just sort of dictating to creative and might be multiple creative people but now it's sort of in this singular pod format. It really facilitates that communication as well as, you know, real-time feedback on results, which is hugely important. And I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of creative types in the outside world and the big agency world never really get a whole lot of feedback. Whereas here, because the direct response is like, you know, people are looking for results almost immediately. They get that feedback really quickly. And as, as long as the media buyer and the, the art director and the both sort of sides of the equation are working together. Yeah. I think that's a formula that really does work. I think that's, I mean, we've had art directors come in from big agencies that have never seen performance for their stuff. And even our copywriters, oftentimes working as freelancers, they don't necessarily get really good feedback. And that feedback is what makes you better at your job. And it's also, we tend to find people that are really interested in like winning at creative. I think it's like a game, I think more so than a job for a lot of, a lot of times where you're trying to you know, basically beat a KPI with your creative. But I think the pods are really kind of a game changer for us. I know it's, there's a lot of other agencies that do that as well. But the thing that we, I think I realized is media buyers and art directors think in different time frames. Media buyers are living in the now and the near future of trying to keep performance at that KPI or better and dealing with daily fluctuations of the algorithm where just by the nature of our the creative work, it takes longer. And art directors tend to think in longer term, like month out in advance, like things that they want to test. And when they were separate, the art director and media buyer, I think a lot of that 
nuance got lost and it sometimes leads to some frustration. But now that they're working together and can actually have lots of conversations about how they're thinking, there's a lot more empathy between them. And I think we're better off for it. That's an interesting observation. I mean, I think, you know, from a creative side, thinking longer term is definitely is an embedded thought. But media buyers are so short-term in many cases. And it's like, oh, we need this creative. We need to refresh this creative. I remember just seeing that all the time. Instead of like having a planning process, like whatever ad you're wor- is working right now is eventually going to start to tire. So today would be the day to start planning for that time frame, which I think creative has a little bit more of that mindset, whereas media buying does not. But having the two of them together is a nice mix and a harmony between the two and also understanding where each other is coming from. Yeah, it definitely helps because now they can actually both get what they want. I know with creative, there's often frustration for short turnaround times and give me something. But now that they work tightly with the media buyer, they understand that the stress that they're under and not just the algorithm they're not performing, but like, how they have to keep refreshing stuff. But then on the flip side of that, media buyers are like, well, creative just needs time because when we've given them time, they've produced some amazing stuff. Like give a, a creative person time and some revisions to put out an ad, like it's going to be far better than an ad that's a short turnaround time or just some fast refresh. So I think there's a, it's just really helped us help our team see both sides and the benefits and the needs of either. Yeah, it's... I think you I think you were the one who said that. You've, we've talked about one particular person here on our team who's amazing. And like if you give him more time, he'll create better shit. Like I'm like, well, you know, but we need stuff fat. Like that's my mindset totally. Even though I'm a more of a I'm more on the creative side than probably I don't know. A lot of media buyers, just because like I actually love the creative side so much as much as I do sort of the strategy and the the tactics of the media buying itself and understanding that it's such a, a game changer. So but creative takes time. Like if you have a creative team that's always under the gun and just trying to produce like fast, like, you know, industrial, you know, time like meaning like, you know, they're on a production line. Like, just stamp this stuff out is what I'm trying to say here. Easy for me to say. Like, just to produce this stuff. All I need is just new stuff. Not necessarily great stuff. Because the great stuff comes from more thinking time. Really thinking it through and being uh, intentional about it. Going back to the research. Saying, hmm, all right, here's the feedback I've gotten in the ad so far. But then give me some time to really sort of think through this. And... The time factor is a big realization, I think, at least from my perspective. It's like we need more of that team and maybe demand a little bit less from them, but still be able to balance that, you know, oh, I need a week to create one ad versus, all right, well, the customer needs it, you know, within the next couple of days. So, I mean, there's a happy balance between the two. And I think that yin and yang on media buying and creative, and now that they're under one whole roof, which is in essence, customer success. At the end of the day, it's about customer success. And if you're listening here, it's about hitting your KPIs, like growing your business, like all those business things that you want. But for us, customer success is, you know, achieving those KPIs, but also really feeling good about what you're doing because you're producing like the highest quality of work. And sometimes that is a function of just having more time. Yeah. Yeah. It just, I mean, we all 
we all want to help businesses hit their objectives. We just have different ways of thinking about it. But yeah, more time. I know when I was, I was pushing hard on you for giving him more time, I was like, you can either have quantity or quality. And you're like, I want quantity and quality. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> my, my, it's a term I've, it's something I've struggled with a lot, like in this role and other producer roles is like fast, good, and cheap. And you can only have two of those. And it's a challenge, especially in leadership. And I think one of the things I've tried to do as a creative team is like really be that buffer and push and give them time and like take all the heat from the media buying so that they can have that time. And I don't know if it often does pr- produce better performance results, but there's also a psychological effect where people feel like they're doing better work and also clients yeah. see better work, which makes them stickier. Because if you do a lot of fast work, the quality drops. And then even if performance is good, clients don't like the look of a lot of that stuff that diminishes their brand equity. But yeah, you're definitely a creative person. And even more than that, you're like deep into the psychology and like the OG, like advertising stuff. You've just found a new medium. Well, not new at this point, but you've got like that strong base where you can bring all these things together and pretty much apply it to any, any new platform. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like, I mean, at the heart of it all, I guess I, I'm an ad guy for sure. But I mean, I, I still think like the great idea comes from really thinking. And I always go back to, you know, the Ogilvy example I use when he, when he landed Mercedes Benz, he flew to Stuttgart for three weeks and worked alongside engineers and poured through manuals and eventually came out with really almost like two or three great ideas, three weeks to create like three great ideas that were self-sustaining and, and, you know, 10 X Mercedes business in the U S they were trying to break into the U S market. And he basically did it. And I always think back like, man, he flew to Germany for three weeks. Like that's never forget the fact that stuff does take time. You do have to do the research. You have to do the dirty work, which is obviously one of the reasons why we have, you know, the copy chief to begin with, obviously he, she, you know, writes copy, but more importantly, do the research ahead of time, but realizing that the creative process does take time. And I think, you know, for us as a direct response performance-based agency, like time is the one thing that like you can never, first off, you can never get it back once you, you know, once you spend it. Point is like all of our customers, like they want results yesterday in most cases. So then it becomes a, a matter of managing the customer's expectations and I do think that what you're saying about planning, even if it's not happening today or yesterday, like for the creative, knowing that the process is in place and there is an overall strategy, you know, short, medium, and longer term, I think is vitally important. You might not get the result right now for the KPI that you're looking for. However, we're moving towards it through this sort of iterative process that we call the creative lab. And ultimately, we'll, you know, get the results that you're looking for. But it does take time to do it because you can't you can't force creativity no yeah i think the effort up front is really important and it does take time up front but there is also a place for kind of the high output and we've kind of separated those how we work in that like our art directors and our in-house team really works on like the setting the tone like really doing the testing building out the high quality Uh, and then we we have a outsource agency that we use for a lot of more like the high quantity creative that we can kind of give them the base that we've started. And then once they have like a really strong base to work from, like they'll 
pump out high quality stuff that is a bit more on the small iterations or refresh. So that gives us a lot more capacity to focus on the, the high quality and the testing and the research. I think when it comes to creative, the more time you're given, like right now I'm, I'm in the middle of doing these presentations and it's a very creative pro I mean, I actually really enjoy doing it because we're creating in essence, like a way of presenting and then how to kind of, you know, pitch what we do. But it's a, it's in essence, it's a big like sales video that I'm creating. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But the more time when I go back to it, like I had a really quick deadline. Like I knew on Wednesday when the de deadline hit, I'm not going to make it the way that I really want to make it unless I get a few more days out of it. And now I was given two more days, which is great. And since then, I've like added all these other things that I never would have thought of, never would have added in because I could sit there and think about like, how does this impact? How does this make this more persuasive? How does this make it more educational so that more people benefit from it? And it's a function of time mm -hmm. and also like less stress. Like when I was under the gun, like I had to get it by Wednesday. I'm like, I'm getting about 70% of the way here. It's okay but it's not great. Like now I know like it's going to be great because I was given that extra, you know, 48 hours, 70, maybe I can get an extra 24 hours from this guy. But anyway, the point is, is like, it is absolutely, I couldn't agree more. On the flip side to that, what the funny part is that uh, for everybody in the Burns family, whenever they have a birthday, I have to make a card. Like I have to create the card, but I only do like the best cards when it's like, I have a deadline. Yeah. But it's like the party starts at six. You have to create this card. Like, and sometimes like because of that, like that pressure for me actually really works well as a motivator. But I look at the end result, like the, my, my son had a, car, had a birthday this week. So I made him a card. And I'm like, oh man, there's so many different things I could have done better on that. But I did create it and I hit the deadline. You know, the party went off at six and we had a card for him. So there's that balance there, I think. Yeah. You know, that I think we do have to superimpose on creative people to a certain degree. You don't have an infinite amount of time to create this thing, but you do have deadlines. It just can't be like ultra, ultra short because that's when the quality really drops. Yeah, I strongly agree with deadlines and I only do my work before the deadline. So, yeah, I think it's really important to have, give creative people like the time to let things like ruminate in their brain, but also hold them to a deadline that's a little uncomfortable. Because even though you're not going to get something that's 100% amazing, like 70% of the way there, that's a good spot, especially if you can iterate it on it in the future. Like you want to get something that's 70% of the way there, get it in front of other people on the team, media buyers, pod leaders, creative director, like really so that they can give their input and then you can go back. And then that's kind of like the balance of like individual versus team, like driving stuff to be better. Yeah. Is done better than perfect when it comes to creative? In our world, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I guess in almost all creative is probably the case. I was thinking maybe feature films, but even they have deadlines to hit. and You never do it the way you want, but you do need those deadlines to force you to move fast. I mean, I come from a world of like news, so breaking news is like a constant. And just get used to like fire drills. Even on Wednesday yeah. when you're like, Oh my God, I need help with this presentation graphic. Can you do it? <laughs> oh, I was yeah, like, yes, a fire right. drill. I can just dive right in and like what love about Tommy throw everything off, else off my plate and go deep real fast. But to do that on a regular basis is 
unsustainable and a it gets driver tiring. burnout. Yeah. I would say you're a little bit more as a creative type, a little bit more chaos driven. <laughs> like not, you thrive in chaos a little bit more than the average creative person. Is that safe to say if you kind of look at your entire team and say, all right, I'm on this sort of continuum. And then there's probably people that are like, oh, I can't possibly do that. I'll just freeze up if I have a deadline. Is that safe to say? Yeah. It's been an interesting thing as a manager of realizing people are different. But yeah, I'm full chaos and deadlines and things are seemingly uncluttered, but they're organized in a way that I understand. Right. But yeah, like tight deadlines I enjoy. And I really like the challenge of things like that, like pushing myself. But it gets to a point where it gets a little tiring sometimes if that's always the case. And yeah, I don't know if anybody's really familiar with like the Colby score, but there was one of my quick start, like how good are you with uncertainty? And I'm like max quick start, like full uncertainty. Let's go for it. But that's Mm -hmm. not a comfortable place for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. I I mean, I suspect you're uh, pretty similar too. I would guess I refuse to ever take the Colby. I know. By the way, I think I took it a long, long time ago, but I should probably take it. I always say that, but then I don't. You're (laughs) adequately self-aware. Yeah. I'm not going to change anything. Like, I don't know what it's actually going to do for me aside from it's like, it is what it is. But yeah, I think actually that was something. So Deacon, I'm sure you've had on, like that's something he mentioned and of course, me being the one, just go try things. I, I went and tried it and I talked to him about it. And like, that's one thing that's really interesting about Tier 11 is like allowing me just to be me and be chaotic and push that way versus trying to have to, like coming from like corporate Disney where you have to fit into this mold. And that's, that was always a, a grinding thing for me. But being here, even in just this world of like allowing me to be me and drive hard and do what I, my, zone, my zones of genius, I think is really been a great time for me here at Tier 11. Yeah, no, we certainly appreciate it. And even relevant to that, I mean, you were, your title has changed. Like you were VP of creative, you were director of the creative team. And now we pulled sort of the creative under this customer success umbrella, because that's ultimately the goal and we're less siloed as a result. And, you know, we, we, you know, sort of recharacterized your role in a lot of ways, but, and you know, created this role that is absolutely vital to what we're doing here, especially on the creative side, because, you know, the creative types, the art directors really do need, you know, a feedback loop. They need somebody to be able to bounce ideas off of. They need to be able to have somebody that, you know, is is overseeing their personal development and professional development, but also a sounding board for all their ideas, that kind of stuff. And we created this role, which you know, from we, I wouldn't say we crafted it around you, but we crafted it. And we said, well, Tom is the right guy for this role, because that's what we really, really need. And I think, you know, any business owner should really think about that when they're hiring is that you, at the end of the day, you want to hire the types of people and bring them on board your business that are the the right people that you want on the bus. And then you kind of figure out what seat you ultimately will put them in that will help drive the business forward. And I think, you know, the creative team lead, like your, your role for, you know, a year or two was a really good role. But I think this role is even better because it now bridges that innovation side, which is something that in a high-paced world of direct response advertising, you know, sometimes innovation gets left on the side. And it's so important, especially in today's advertising environment. 
And that's the reason why you're in the role today, which we're all pretty excited about. Yeah, me too. I think of it similar to how we're talking about like timelines that media buyers and creative people think. And customer success is fundamentally a short-term time time frame thought process where in this new role, I'll be able to like drive a bit more like thinking like long-term where areas can tier live and go. And, and then of course, still leading the creative team and helping we build a pretty good like camaraderie between the different creative teams. So even though everybody's in their own pods, we still have a lot of get togethers with the creative people where it's a lot of just, you know, we call it shooting the shit, but basically bouncing ideas off each other, occasional complaining, but also things that they've learned along the way. And it just, you know, you have to have people who understand you also while you're still in these pods. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's hugely valuable and you've been able to build an amazing team now as uh, VP of, of innovation and strategy or strategy and innovation. I think strategy and innovation sounds a little bit better for whatever reason. So huh? here we are just making up, you know, amending your job title here on uh, YouTube Live. Yeah. Speaking of YouTube Live, we're actually at the top of the hour. Tom, this has been great having you on and uh, really appreciate everybody for watching here today. You know, Tom, you can, uh, personal social profiles, where can people reach out and, you know, say hello to you? Yeah, I think. Are you on tw the Twitters? Are yeah. you, where are you at social? Twitters is my favorite right now for like information. I'm Tom, at Tom Meredith, T-O-M-M-E-R-E-D-I-T-H. And then my favorite social right now is TikTok though. I love just scrolling through. I'm convinced it's like TV, you're flipping channels. And I think it's going to go the direction of TV with like infomercials and reality it already is reality TV at this point. But, oh, man. Yeah. There's another YouTube Live right there I just know. on that subject. So, it's all theory. Awesome. Well, you must have gotten early in on, on Twitter to have at Tom Meredith. I didn't realize that was your handle. That's pretty good. Yeah. I'm always early <laughs> on stuff. Sometimes too early. That's awesome. Well, that's why you're, you know, the VP of innovation. Yeah. So, there you go. Well, Ralph, it's always great right, chat everybody. with you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate you getting up early LA time, Pacific time this week. And, uh, yeah, look forward to having you back on uh, our YouTube live here or perpetual traffic. Maybe we'll sort of dual hit this one mm -hmm. with some of the recordings that we created here today. So thanks for coming on, Tom. Everybody else, we'll talk to you next Friday. All right. See you. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.